views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat, and this is our Good News segment. Well, we get to talk with today three fascinating people. James Kiley joining us here today as COPD National Action Plan aims to reduce the burden of the third leading cause of death. And I know many of you may be thinking, but wait a minute, I don't COPD. Why is that a cause of death? Well, this is the first ever national framework designed to address key issues associated with COPD. Dr. James Kiley, Director of the Division of Lung Diseases at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute at the National Institute of Health, is joining us here today. You know, the National Health, Lung, and Blood Institute, along with federal and non-federal partners, recently released the first ever COPD National Action Plan, a detailed patient-centered roadmap for addressing one of the most urgent health concerns facing Americans. The plan was released at the American Thoracic Society International Conference in Washington, D.C. NHLBI is part of the National Institutes of Health. So here's the deal. COPD is the third leading cause of death, and I think that many people don't know that. The disease costs Americans more than $32 billion a year. It can stifle a person's ability to breathe, long-term disability, and drastically affect the quality of life, probably beyond anything you're going to hear today. Now, uh, early diagnosis and treatment with people uh, with COPD can improve quality of life and begin to breathe a little easier. But today you're going to hear some fascinating, fascinating things about COPD, who's at risk, how many people are affected. More importantly, go to www.copd.nih.gov. In addition to that, I am so thrilled to have Nick Lund on the show. Out of balance national parks, and the threat of oil and gas development. And I got to tell you, this one is really near and dear my heart. There's a new report now from the National Parks Conservation Association showing Western parks and endangered by potentially energy development. Many of you are thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are they going to do? Are they going to build on the parks? Well, Nick Lund joining us here today, Senior Manager for Landscape Conservation at 
NPCA is going to be talking about why these parks are at risk and why Americans are not paying attention to it. So the Southwest National Parks are among the most visited national parks in the country. They draw millions and millions of people. I love going there myself. Each year, the views are jaw-dropping scenic wonders and recreational opportunities. But what is the call to action now? Here's the deal. Um, out of balance, national parks and threat of oil and gas development, this report details the extent of possible energy development next to seven national parks. Now, this is all through the current administration. So these seven parks in the Southwest include Canyonlands, Capitol Reef, and Zion National Parks. So this month in the, well, actually in June, the NPCA Senior Management for Landscape Conservation, Nick Lund, who you'll hear today, is outlining what the call to action is and why it's important. So let me tell you about this. You may be thinking, what is the big deal if we do drilling next to a national park? Let's just talk about that. So have you ever lived on a coastline where there has been oil spills? Do you know what's involved in digging? Do you know how the environment is affected? So let's talk about what that might look like close to a national park. Does there run any risk of something going wrong? Well, do you want to hear something even more ridiculous than building in the Southwest? What is our greatest challenge now to national parks? Just look over in California right now. Look at the forestry and the burning that's going on. Now ask yourself, what would happen if we started producing oil and gas next to a national park or a forest? That's why Nick's here today. And last, guess what? Could there be, could there be a key to the fountain of youth? Today, we're going, to ask, we're going to be hearing from a professor who's available now and is going around the country talking about longevity research, and there is longevity research. What is it about growing old that this particular researcher has to share with us that may change the way we think, look, and feel about our metabolism? So what are some of the things you're going to find in the COPD National Action Plan? Well, one of the things that I think that'll be of importance to you is why, in fact, do we need a National Action Plan about COPD? And, you know, 16 million Americans diagnosed with COPD, which is actually chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and the millions of others who do not know they even have it. Living in a normal life can be a daily struggle. The disease not only debilitates, it kills. And as I said before, the third leading cause of death. So why is COPD difficult to address? Well, we just don't know, but most COP cases are preventable, as eight in 10 COPD deaths are caused by smoking. And you may be thinking, well, gee, I don't smoke, 
But if you're with someone that does, you're going to hear about the effects of secondary smoke. But let's just take a look. Let's take a look by state. 16 million people have been diagnosed with COPD. Where? Where do we find most of these happening? Implementing proven strategies to prevent tobacco use, smoke-free policies, tobacco price increases, all of this certainly does help. But what can we do to help people quit? You're going to find out that this report has that in it. Some states and local communities have developed action plans to improve awareness and treat the disease. However, there are significant differences in the prevalence of the disease from 11.9% in West Virginia to 3.8% in Utah. These complicated issues uh, represent actually broader, broader and more complicated uh, uh, remedies. But why is it when we look at some place like West Virginia and some place like Utah, we see the differences? Well, I think that what folks are saying, we need a national approach now. We need to take a look at which states are doing what they can do to create a better environment. I was a little bit shocked, though. I thought that I would go to my state, Washington State, and I would be like, well, wait a minute, Washington State, Oregon, they got to be like, they've got to have the best rate here. No, they don't. California actually has, <laughs> California, Hawaii, and Alaska actually have uh, better rates than, than, than we do and Oregon does. And clearly when you look at Florida, when you look at some of the other places, uh, certainly Tennessee and some of the mid parts of the country, you can see. And, and like we said before, you can see the whole report. But what are the goals of the National Action Plan? One is to empower people with COPD. Two, to improve the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. Three, to collect, analyze, and report and disseminate COPD-related public health data. Four, to increase and to increase and sustain research to better understand. And then five, translate national policy, education, and program recommendations to research and public care actions. So a disease that kills, we can do something about. You're going to hear about that today. Another demographic looks at who has COPD by ethnicity. I was a little bit shocked when I saw this and thought, let's take a look at culture. You're going to have to look at the report to see how this pans out for you. But does gender play a role? Well, yeah. Women have a higher percent than men. And so then what are we looking at? This particular report is so really, really cool. Check it out. You're going to get a lot of information. Now, let me talk to you about the national parks. Let's just talk about why people are so concerned and why others are so confused. You know, when I thought about talking um, about this report that came out, when I thought about, you know, what some of the issues are about this, I thought, why would we decide to put in play drilling, gas lines, oil, next to our parks. I didn't think that that would even be possible 
in the time frame that I'm living in. But it really is. And the question has to be, why are we, why are we looking at the future of national parks and why are we looking at the secretary's first 100 days and the future look for national parks to be grim? Here's why. You know, we thought our national parks would be protected forever and ever and ever. First of all, you should know that there is a budget proposal that would cut 13% of all park service funding. That means that you visiting these parks are absolutely not gonna get the kind of service you need. That is so important. So for example, imagine park rangers being cut. Imagine yourself in case of an emergency. Imagine that there are not enough people to find out where you are or how to help you. Now, in a call to review the federal policies that might burden domestic energy production, the Department of Interior is reviewing rules for oil and gas drilling inside national parks. What? Inside. Now, we have some common sense guidelines, but for those of you listening to this, drilling inside national parks, including those of you in Florida, the Everglades, uh, Mesa Verde. So if you go to look at the uh, website, mpca.org, you're going to see all of this. And more importantly, parks, if not drilling inside, certainly certain parks have been identified as having, um, whether it's oil or gas, uh, be explored, investigated, and actually even drilling and pulling oil out of the ground close to these parts. How that's going to happen, I have no idea. But this is something you're going to want to pay more attention to. Washington State, I'm telling you, you're right at the top of the list. Those of you that are thinking not so much, Denver, you're right there. So get involved. Take a listen to our good news segment. And it is good news for the following reason. This news is to help all of us make decisions that will help us live longer and help our land and our landscape flourish. So this is our good news segment, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. Fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Imagine a world where good news, oh, yeah! positive information and stories were the mainstream. Tell us your positive story. Hashtag positivity rules. You are listening to the Transformation Radio Network. Miss any shows during the week? No! Don't worry, we've got you covered. Yahoo! With the free Transformation Talk radio app, you'll have access to all of the past week's shows in the palm of your hand. Yes! Tune in to Transformation Talk Radio anywhere you go with our free app for any of your devices. Check out our app in the App Store and Google Play Store today.
Welcome, everyone. I'm so thrilled to have James Kylie joining me here today um, as somebody that is bringing a very powerful message to the world on COPD. This is a national action plan that aims to reduce the burden of the third leading cause of death. This is the first ever national framework designed to address key issues associated with COPD. Dr. James Kiley, Director of the Division of Lung Diseases at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and the National Institutes of Health. We're very excited to have this conversation with him today. As you know, uh, if you counted the number of commercials on COPD, it is clear to many of us that the rise in level of awareness needs to be had about this disease, but more important, the remedy. But today's show is really about what those commercials don't say. That's why we have Dr. Kylie joining us here today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kylie. Glad to be with you. Well, okay, so the question really is, I mean, clearly the rise in a level of awareness talking about COPD is off the charts, but there are many, many things that people don't know. That's why you and I are chatting today, right? Correct. So uh, tell us about, you know, COPD, why you're doing this campaign, and what are some of the little known facts? So first we have to define it. So COPD is short for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a very serious lung disease that over time makes it really hard to breathe. Sometimes people have heard this disease is either emphysema or chronic bronchitis, uh, two ends of a spectrum uh, covered under this umbrella term COPD. What people don't often recognize is that COPD develops very slowly. It takes years for people to realize what it is. And this is where uh, you've probably mentioned it to your listeners, the um, um, uh, airways, the tubes that bring air in and out of the lungs get inflamed, they get, they get clogged, they get obstructed. It makes it very difficult to move air in and out of the lung. The lung gets filled with air. You can't release it. You, you deteriorate. You have lots of symptoms around that, and, and, and clearly you have a very uh, serious condition. This is the third leading cause of death in this country. People don't know that, so that's important for people to realize. What's that mean? 160, 150,000 people a year die from this disease. But even more impressive is that about... 16 million people have it already, and maybe many more have it, don't even know they have it. And that's why we want to raise awareness. That's what the COPD action plan is all about. We want to make sure that people recognize what the symptoms are, who's at risk, and what they can do uh, using this action plan to take uh, action and to improve their own health, but also to help mitigate or impact on this huge um, um, public health burden. Well, you know, what do you see um, here being a spokesperson coming out, talking about things that, you know, folks actually need to know? What, what do you think is, you know, the greatest, uh, your top three on what people don't know and what they should know? So, for example, I mean, where does COPT, COPD in the scheme of how it affects people living or dying? Uh, I think the, the top things that people need to know is, first of all, if you're over the age of 40, you have a history of smoking, you want to see your provider because you may be at high risk of COPD. Smoking is the most common cause of, of, uh, of COPD and accounts for about 80 to 90% of all COPD-related deaths. We also want people to know that you need to recognize the early symptoms that may be signs of COPD. 
things that are obvious that, that you may think are just sort of part of normal aging or I'm out of shape, like I'm coughing a lot, I have a lot of sputum production, or I'm um, you know, I'm out of breath, I can't catch my breath, I can't climb the stairs, I can't do uh, everyday activities that I once was able to do because you're short of breath. If you have those kinds of symptoms, you really want to speak with your healthcare provider, your doctor, and maybe get a simple breathing test that would actually diagnose COPD. And this national action plan has pieces contained within it that are geared or aimed towards educating the public and empowering the people with COPD and their family and their caregivers. It also helps educate and update um, providers on um, ways to improve the quality of care delivered across the healthcare continuum. And then there's pieces of this that deal with collecting data and tracking uh, um, the, the, the public health impact of this disease and then increasing uh, research. But the plan is for everyone. Everyone owns it. There's a piece here for everyone. And we hope that individuals will recognize that this is a serious disease. It comes on slowly. You may or may not have it as a result of smoking. About 25% right. have never smoked and that you can detect this early and do something about it. You know, uh, it can, uh, I want to ask you one question because I think this gets confusing for people. Um, a lot of times we look at folks that have COPD. It is a devastating, it is a de it's devastating. It, it, and, and nine times out of 10, we don't even know that somebody has it. We just know, wait a minute, now they're in a wheelchair. Um, is this a disease that shows up more uh, as a result of aging or... Does it, I mean, does it affect people across the board? It affects people across the board. We know that younger people are appearing with COPD. We know oh. more women die with COPD. More oh. women are diagnosed earlier with COPD. We know that there's a non-smoking element of COPD that I think uh, affects people earlier in their, in their lives. And we know that people are unable to do daily activities that they once were able to do fairly easily, and now they can't. So they they have some impairment of their lungs, and we think that that may be early indication of COPD, and they really need to get checked because um, that's really the earlier that you can detect, detect the disease, the better you can, um, you, can, you can intervene. And again, the National Action Plan is a means for people to really go in and look at how they can have that conversation with their provider, how they can recognize their own symptoms, take steps towards improving their own health, having that conversation with their provider, and then avoiding things that, that might trigger what might be irritating the lungs and providing and, and leading to uh, flare-ups of, of COPD if they have COPD. Well, I want to make sure everyone knows that there is a great document that's available to people, and it's the National Action Plan. Um, how can people find out more about that? Where can they get a copy? Because the information that's provided in there, it is really, uh, 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 it's really amazing to read it. Everything from why now and what it's about. But the thing that I, I held on to was the word empower that's used in here. How can people find out more about this? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because as a practitioner, you know that this yeah. is a serious 
problem. And I think that you've recognized it and you've brought it to the attention of your listeners, and that's wonderful. And I think we want to urge everyone to go to the website, copd.nih.gov, read the plan. It's, it's written in fairly easy to read language. It's not too technical. And uh, it's there for the whole public to really recognize uh, all of the different elements that go into this disease, the seriousness of it, the numbers of people that are affected, the fact that you can take steps to recognize the symptoms and you can have a conversation with your provider. You can get uh, help. You can get treated. We don't have a cure, but we certainly have um, new ways to manage the symptoms and improve overall quality of life. And I think that's where we are today as we work uh, in the research uh, arena to really advance not only our knowledge about the disease and ways to intervene, but also towards uh, um, looking for cures. The plan is everyone's plan. We want everyone to take a role. And if we all work together, and take a little piece of what's in here and do something about it, we will collectively have an impact on this disease and we will reduce the burden of this disease over the next uh, decade or so. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge the work you're doing on that because this report is very important. You know, one of the things I looked at was what you said earlier, the fact that 25% of all cases are not associated with direct cigarette smoke. But however, that they may be, well, let me, here's my question. You know, could those cases be uh, uh, as a result of secondary smoke? Absolutely. We think that that may be a contributing cause. We, mm-hmm. we, we also know that there are, uh, you know, environmental exposures besides secondhand smoke that may mm-hmm. cause this, that, that component. There's a genetic component of COPD, the alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency that, that also is, is factored in there. And there's occupational exposure. So you may work in an environment where you're exposed to dusts or irritants or other things. And those are going to contribute to impairing your, maybe having an impact on your lung and lungs and, and leading to, to COPD. So there are many ways in which one can encounter COPD. That's why it's an important wake-up call for all of America about COPD. That's what the plan is all about, yeah. and we're so excited that we've got the whole community uh, behind us on this one to work with us together to uh, to implement this plan. Yeah, I was looking at one of the goals in here, and if I might, might you know, just jump to it real quick. I know our time is short. Uh, it is collect, analyze, report, and disseminate COPD-related public health data and drive change and track progress. I love that. That is a very as- aggressive goal. H- how are we doing with that? <laughs> We're doing pretty well with that. We have a great partnership with the Centers for Disease Control. They have a survey that they do. We have every state that is contributing data to that effort. But, you know, one, one thing that's really important is when you talk to people in local communities, they want to know, well, what's going on right around me? And I think that the right around me issue is really important. So we need to get drilled down to communities, to counties, to, you know, local settings to be able to tell people how this impacts on you and your community. And so talking about statewide data is important, but we want to drill down further. And that's what this goal is all about. We want to really get down to uh, make this very personal so that everybody realizes this is a disabling disease. It has an impact on society as a whole. It has an economic impact. 
And it has a lot of implications here that I think go beyond, even beyond the health aspect of it that we need to alert people to. And I think that's why this plan helps uh, uh, call all those issues to, to the public's attention and then actually ask for help to try to uh, mitigate or reverse or in, 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 in intervene to improve uh, that state. And also in your report, I just want to say, um, you do a great job to highlight some of the organizations that are coming together in partnership. Isn't that really uh, another key of what you're doing? We've, we've, we are very proud of that, and we're very happy to have so much of the uh, COPD community ranging from uh, healthcare mm-hmm. providers, federal yep. partners, advocacy groups, patients all across the board, family members, caregivers. I mean, it just, in fact, impacts on everyone. What I say to people all the time when I go around is, you know someone with COPD. Third leading cause of death, 16 million people have it, more have it that don't even know it. You know someone that has COPD. Help them help them and help the overall cause because it is a drain on society as a whole, on the healthcare system, on the economy, on, uh, on many, many factors, not the least of which is the patient. And we want to make sure that this patient-centric, patient-driven plan is where we now begin our task of trying to um, make improvements and, and, and change uh, the, the trajectory of this disease. Yeah, and I love that you put the information in the back by state because I think when folks look at this, Dr. Kylie, they're going to be blown away. They're going to be looking at something and thinking, wow, I live in New York City. I got to be way up there. But I got to tell you, I live in the state of Washington and it has beat out New York City for their percentage. So thank you for being enlightening, opening the doors, opening our eyes and uh, presenting this call to action. Last question. What's your personal message? We want to just raise awareness about this very disabling uh, disease. It's a third leading cause of death in this country. A lot of people have it. Early detection is important. This plan provides a blueprint for all of us to take action, own this plan, make a difference, and then we will see improvements in, in reducing the burden of this disease nationwide. Thank you so much for joining us here today, everyone. We're going to take a short break. Are you traveling most of your day? Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. Listen while you work. Streaming live on any device. Tune in to the Transformation Radio Network. Visit transformationradio.fm. Welcome, everyone. Nick Lund is the NPCA's Senior Manager for Landscape Conservation. His focus is on preventing harm to national parks from oil and gas development and infrastructure. He works to ensure that legislative efforts to open up national parks to fossil fuel development are defeated. Well, hallelujah for that. He's joining us here today, not only to give us an update, but to clearly talk about what the challenges are and what the call to action is. Hi, Nick. Hi, Dr. Pat. How are you? 
Good. So let's kick it up, if you don't mind. Sure. As I said, you know, this is a really important conversation. Many of you have heard me talk about what's really at risk. And, you know, for those of you that like to go to the box office, that like to watch the movies, and you go to these movies and you see a landscape where there's devastation everywhere, and you think, oh, yeah, that's just going to be a blockbuster movie about the future, but it's never really going to happen to us. Well, let's just talk about what we are on the verge of today. There's a new report from the National Parks Conservation Conservation Association, you know, which is going to talk with us about what is endangered and why it's endangered. Nick, uh, listen, I can't say enough about this, but enough about me. I would like to fast forward and I mean, I'm not really talking about a future that's at the box office. There are, there's stuff at risk here. Sure. And you know, some of those landscapes you saw at the box office might've been national parks, all kinds of movies filmed in parks. They are, they are beautiful landscapes. They are the areas that we want to, that we want to show. They're evocative places. Um, but unless we take care of them, those landscapes, uh, we'll need to use a green screen or something. Um, because they won't be the same. Yeah. Well, look, there's a new report out, and I'm excited that you're bringing the message to the forefront. Many people don't even know, if I dare say this, that there even is such a thing as reporting on this. Like, what about the, the sure. viewscapes that no longer exist? And how about pollution that shows up in various ways? Or maybe even damages to the wilderness landscapes. By the way, it's not just about cutting down a tree. It's an entire <laughs> ecosystem, isn't it? Absolutely right. You know, national parks, they're only as healthy as the landscapes on which they sit, Right. Uh, and what we're talking about here in this report is oil and gas development out west. Um, you know, national parks themselves, they are economic engines, right? The parks hit another record high for visitation in 2016, 330 million people. They generated uh, $35 billion in economic activity. They supported 318,000 jobs. And these are important places, not just for the environment, but for uh, local communities and for um, local businesses. And we need to keep them protected. And they can be harmed if the government comes in and leases oil and gas, uh, you know, leases for lands for oil and gas development right on the national park borders. And that's what they can do in some cases. Um, they, they can come in and, and uh, develop these places, and then the air quality is hurt. The water quality can be hurt. Wildlife habitat moving in and out of parks can hurt. And most importantly, and most you know, easily seen by the visitors, the experience of visiting the park is hurt. You know, what you yeah. put in the movies. Uh, yeah. You know, the, it's the, you go out and it's the quiet, you know, and it's the view sheds. It's the feeling that you're in this natural environment. If you go and all of a sudden it's an industrial landscape, then uh, it's not so good. You know what's really confusing for people like me? Here's what's really confusing, Nick. We have at yeah. our fingertips one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, resources no limit for clean energy, solar, wind, and the list goes on and on and on. Please try to help me explain what it is about drilling in our national parks that makes any sense at all. Yeah. 
Well, we're not really talking. We're not talking about drilling in the parks. That that does occur in some small instances, but that's we're talking about adjacent lands here. So we don't need to quite worry exactly. about that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, well, the, what's the, the difference, of, though? Yeah. I mean, what really is the difference? Yeah. If you're going to do something adjacent, we know what comes off of that process. No. Now you make a great point, Dr. Pat. I mean, these, like I said, I mean there aren't there aren't fences across these national parks. They're not protected. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's no magical force field bubble uh, that protects the boundary from things going on nearby. Uh, and so you're right. Things that happen on adjacent lands certainly impact the park. You know, uh, the the fact of the matter is that right now, as this company, trans- uh, this country transitions away from fossil fuels and into renewables, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're st- we still need oil and gas, and so it, uh, yep. it, we're still in the process of of getting it, uh, and it does happen. Um, and, you know, we are in favor of that transition, and we're working towards a, a better, cleaner future. Um, but right now, when development occurs, we just want to make sure that it, it doesn't hurt the parks where it occurs. It's simple, you know. You should just think ahead before you start developing to see what the impacts are going to be on lands nearby. Tell us what the, the high points are of this report and what you've discovered. Sure. We've focused on seven national parks, uh, all in the western United States, uh, which have sort of imminent threats from oil and gas development on their boundaries. Um, some of these are, you know, some of the most famous national parks in the world. Uh, I'm sure your listeners have been to some of them. Um, we're talking about places like uh, Canyonlands National Park, uh, Canyonlands National Park in Utah. You know, beautiful, big canyons and uh, red rocks. Uh, Capitol Reef National Park with, with its natural bridges and these cool uh, um, cave paintings and cool things like that. Carlsbad Caverns National Park, which is world famous. Beautiful giant underground systems, all kinds of bats flying out. It's amazing. Dinosaur National Monument in Colorado. Chaco Culture National Historic Park in New Mexico. Mesa Verde National Park in Colorado. I don't know if you've seen those big um, pueblos built into the sides of cliffs, these ancient, amazing structures. Um, Zion National Park, which is, you know, one of the top five or so most visited parks in the country. It's amazing. It's got this amazing river uh, called the Narrows that you can walk up into, um, the Angels Landing, this huge, uh, amazing hike that you can do. Um, all of these are places that have, you know, distinct oil and gas development threats nearby, and all of these places need to work with the National Park Service, work with the Bureau of Land Management, work with local officials to try to mitigate those threats, to try to remove the threats to the park. Well, you know, what can we do? I mean, there's so much that we could, you know, we could do, you know, in many, many different ways. You know, I think first and foremost, visit parks. Go out to these places. Uh, It'll do your body good. Um, bring your kids and bring your grandkids. I mean, that's the, the experiences will last a lifetime, uh, and you will learn to love these places, and you'll want to protect them. I and mean, that's number one. I can't just tell you to want to protect these places. Go see for yourself, and, and you'll know. Um, you know, and once you develop that love and want to protect them, then it becomes easy. You can just make your voice heard to the local uh, Bureau of Land Management, uh, to mm-hmm. the Park Service itself, to the president. Call up the president. Um, you can find a bunch of information uh, on our website, npca.org, to try to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, which parks um, have threats, you know, which things are moving when, which which mm-hmm. parks are at risk. Um, there are lots of ways, once you sort of um, develop a love for the parks and then get a little information uh, to make your voice heard. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let me let me ask you this this question here. Many people think nothing's going to happen. We've made so much progress. You know, with the change of an administration, yeah. are we really worrying about whether or not the uh, Trump administration is planning to manage energy production on public lands? I mean, so people would be like, "What? That's not going to happen." But I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, you know, is this something we should be uh, concerned about? Absolutely. You know, the the Trump administration has signaled, well, they signaled that it's going to move much more aggressively uh, towards allowing energy development and, you know, leasing areas and moving much more quickly. Uh, We want to make sure that national parks are kept in mind and protected as that uh, is done. And it can work. And that's the other thing. Um, when people speak up and make their voices heard, it works. Mm-hmm. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, Zion National Park, which I mentioned, um, yeah. the government was thinking about issuing leases right uh, next to the, the entrance road on the way in, less than a mile from the park, and the community got really upset. Um, the, the county and the nearby towns wrote letters and said, please don't do this. These are our businesses. This is our economy. We don't want this area developed. And even the governor of Utah, who traditionally, um, you know, is very pro-energy, he wrote yeah. and said, please don't lease these issues. And it worked. The, the, the BLM pulled them back and is not going to issue. So uh, when people speak up, uh, it works. I and mean, we just got to do it. Well, and, you know, this is the thing that I know that you're doing. You're speaking out and speaking up. And, you know, in the midst of so much for people to be looking at, this is the kind of thing, if you're as old as I am, just want to say that this is the kind of thing that (laughs) slips under the radar until enough damage is done that we're like, well, how did that happen? So please give out the website. Please give out information so that people can find out, first of all, more about the reports, but also to really look at what you all have put forth on your website to tell us the bigger picture. Sure, absolutely. At our website, npci, excuse me, npca.org, we have all kinds of good information, not just about the oil and gas threats, but all of right. all the different things happening in National Parks, all the good and the, and the bad things happening. Uh, you know, for, for older people who want to make sure that their kids and their grandkids experience national parks in the same way that they did, that those parks exist uh, in the same form, that they're protected, and that their kids and grandkids, you know, get grabbed by the heart in the same way that they did when they visit a park. It's very important for people to get educated and and speak up to protect them because otherwise uh, the places are at risk. Yeah, and I want everybody to remember this. Remember this. Dinosaur National Park, Chaco Culture National Historic Park, Canyonlands, Capitol Reef, Carlsbad Caverns, Mesa Verde, and Zion National Parks. Remember those because what are we talking about? We're out of balance. National parks and the threat of oil and gas development next to these parks. Uh, One last question. One last question. Yes. Yes. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with? I just want to say that national parks are the most amazing places we have. They are America. They're the environment part of America. They're historic. They're the cultural parts of America. Please go visit them. You'll you'll love it. You'll have everything to do. If you're in the Washington area, you can go to Olympic. You can go to Klondike Gold Rush. You can go to the Cascades. You've got a wealth of things 
in your area, no matter where you live in the country. And they're worth going, they're worth loving, and they're worth protecting. Awesome. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you, everybody. We're going to take a short break. Please get involved. Please get involved. Uh, We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Thanks, Nick. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our wheelhouse to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Take us with you on that morning commute. Download your favorite podcast from the Transformation Radio Network. Just visit transformationradio.fm. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Welcome, everyone. You know, I so love these good news segments. Okay, here's the question. Have you been searching for that fountain of youth all your life? Dr. Leonard Garenti is joining me here today, director of MIT's Glenn Laboratory for uh, the Science of Aging and chief scientist of Elysium Health. Now, what does this mean? Well, growing old is a fact of life. However, scientific search for extended youth and a healthier life is becoming more and more intense than ever. Absolutely, the call to action for all of us now is what do we need to do to take better or good care of ourselves? And what are some of the breakthroughs? That's what's going to happen today in the show. We are going to share lots of information. Doctor, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. This has got to be, if I'm trying to think of one other topic that our pop culture, at least in the United States, is completely obsessed with, aging, anti-aging. And yet we seem to not have a clue about what it means and what's possible. So that's where you come in today. (laughs) Okay. There's been a lot going on in aging research in the past 20, 30 years. And um, we're, we're starting to see some of the fruits of those labors now. So we've been involved in my lab with um, cellular aging mm-hmm. and trying to figure out uh, what controls uh, the aging of a cell. And um, that sort of led us on this path uh, that uh, has culminated in... Um, this product, Basis, and this company, Elysium Health. And what we think is that, um, you know, we're now at a point where some of what we've learned in the laboratory is actionable in people. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. You know, are we surprised that this is being studied so much? And then what is it you did discover in the lab? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I don't think it's surprising because I think aging underlies uh, many diseases. I mean, the major diseases like cancer, cardiovascular disease, oh, yeah. neurodegenerative disease, aging is, is a big risk factor for those diseases. So if you could do something to slow down uh, the, the clock and uh, uh, mitigate the underlying aging process, you would have a favorable impact on a lot of diseases. So I think, um, you know, that makes aging research uh, extremely important. Now, as for our research, uh, we started this work about 27 years ago, and um, we've identified uh, a class of proteins inside of cells that are called sirtuins that we believe can slow down the aging process when they're active. And... Um, we then uh, found that um, there's a molecule, an important molecule uh, involved in metabolism inside of cells that can, uh, uh, that's necessary for the sirtuins to work. And this molecule is called NAD. And NAD is involved in a number of important processes in cells. So as I said, it activates these sirtuins. It helps uh, cells produce energy it helps cells uh, repair their DNA. So it's a, a critical molecule. And um, our research led us to there. And what, what's been discovered more recently is that NAD levels go down as we get older. And this poses a problem. So then sirtuins won't be active. Uh, energy production will decline. DNA repair efficiency will decline. And so one of the uh, important elements of this product uh, called BASIS is that it has a natural compound that's called nicotinamide riboside or NR, which is present in milk. And this compound is a precursor of NAD and it gets into cells very, very well. So if you give uh, this compound to mice, for example, mm -hmm. um, it gets into cells and it raises NAD levels. And if you give it to an old mouse, which has uh, lower NAD, right. it raises the NAD levels to that of a young mouse. Wow. And, uh, and it's, wow. that's very good. And, and it has health consequences. The old mouse gets healthier and it lives longer. So I, I, you know, I think that that's the kind of preclinical data that is very exciting for Elysium Health because uh, we're looking for uh, compounds like that. And what we then want to do is we want to uh, see how these play out in, in people. And so, uh, you know, we've conducted uh, trials. Then we uh, completed our first one last year to look at what happens uh, to people who take basis. And we did the trial just like a drug company would in a very rigorous way with a placebo group. And everybody was blinded. Nobody knew if they were taking the placebo or a basis. And um, the people handling the data uh, were blinded as to who was who. And what we found is that, first of all, as expected, BASIS was perfectly safe in the people. And secondly, uh, most importantly, that it raised NAD levels in cells, blood cells, uh, of people who took it. And those levels stayed uh, elevated for the entire duration of the trial.
Mm-hmm. So that's a very good uh, outcome for us. It's an important milestone because it says that we can raise NAD levels in humans and, and sustain uh, the increase. And so we predict uh, that uh, many health benefits uh, should follow. And so the second uh, wave of trials, uh, which are beginning this year, are aimed at looking at uh, some of those health endpoints and uh, determining uh, whether they're favorably impacted by basis as we anticipate, given that NAD levels go up. You know, I want to ask you this question. That is what you just shared. I don't even think breakthrough is like the real word. I just want to go back to what you said. So basically, we know how research works, right? You know, we have a subject and we we look at the subject and we say, here is an old mouse or whatever it is, right? And then we apply an intervention as you described. Can you please repeat the result you got again for me? Yeah, in the animals, in the laboratory, uh, what happens is a number of favorable health consequences follow, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, For example, old mice are prone to diabetes, and the diabetes is ameliorated by uh, intervening with... uh, uh, by elevating NAD with uh, the NAD precursor. Um, organs have stem cells that f- differentiate to give rise to the cells of the, dif- of the tissue, okay? And these are called adult stem cells. Mm-hmm. And these stem cells typically go down. They decline with aging. And um, adding the NAD precursor uh, uh, replenishes those stem cells. So there are more of them and they function better. Um, The animals uh, appear healthier. They um, perform better in um, stamina challenges and uh, they live longer. So there are a number of uh, favorable outcomes uh, that are observed in the animals that are given these NAD precursors. So we think that, um, you know, the, the question always is, okay, that's that's true in the laboratory, but what about in the setting of real people? And uh, that's where we come in because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, step one is that we need to identify compounds that work in the laboratory right. and that are natural. But then step two is to uh, validate whether they work in people the same way. And that's what we're doing. And, mm-hmm. we, you know, an important step one uh, uh, step of validation is showing that NAD levels do indeed go up and stay up. Right, and, right. Um, and, and we did that last year. And, you know, the reason that I wanted you to go back over that is because, you know, we're talking about um, the process, of course, but more importantly, you know, the discovery. And, you know, this really is a discovery. So is it a stretch to say, okay, that this discovery is on the edge of fountain of youth discovery? Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't put it that way. Yeah, I, I know. Would say, I wouldn't put it that way. I would say we're, 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 we're really discovering some of the important uh, elements inside of cells that control the aging process. I think that's a fair statement. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're trying to leverage that knowledge to uh, uh, translate into interventions that can improve human health. And mm-hmm. that's the process that is sometimes uh, slow and unpredictable. But I think we've made 
uh, a lot of progress uh, in the case of sirtuins and NAD, and um, and we're going to see uh, now how many health benefits accrue in people uh, due to uh, this research. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, I know this is a short interview. Thank you for your time. How can people find out more? So uh, we have a website, uh, ElysiumHealth.com. It's one word, Elysium Health. And in fact, um, you know, we're selling, we've been uh, selling basis since last year. And um, yeah, I've been taking it personally for three years. Mm. Uh, and um, it's the only place you can, uh, customers can, can purchase it is from the website. So the website has a lot of information about the product, about the science um, that backs the product, and about the company in general. Scientists who are involved in the company, mission of the company, uh, the idea, the concept behind the company. So, um, you know, I encourage people to take a look at the website and um, decide for themselves, you know, uh, whether basis is is right for them. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Um, I really appreciate it. And so, yeah, more to come, everyone. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. <laughs> 